Swedenborg writes of the ultimate connection we can have with God. As we unite more deeply with God, our unique sense of identity gets more richly defined and clarified. What does that mean for our relationships with each other? We have the capacity to embody and reflect the divine to one another. We can actually meet God in the presence of a loved one or a stranger. Here we are, inside Off the Left Eye. This week, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, and myself share stories of being helped by angels. Next, we hear from Jonathan about a Latin phrase that showcases the wisdom of angels. Then we travel to 1749 and trace the path of a letter from Dartmouth, England, to the secret location where Swedenborg was this week in history. Welcome, Jonathan. So nice to be with you, Chelsea. Yeah, and it's fun to have you here for all three segments of this episode this week. How did I get so lucky? I know. Well, let's get to it. I'm excited for what we have to cover. So this past week on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, people can find our newest episode, Revelation, the Mystery of the Seven Thunders. So this is our exploration of Revelation chapter 10, and people can find that on on the YouTube channel, or of course, listen to it as a podcast, the audio of it on the Swedenborg and Life podcast channel. And as usual, we have our weekly reflection question, which, you know, it may seem like, how does this connect with Revelation chapter 10? Well, you'll have to watch the show to see the connection. So here's, here's our reflection question for this week. What are ways that other people have brought some of God's presence to you, some of God's help or love or wisdom? So I don't want to necessarily put you on the hot seat, Jonathan. So if you want me to go first, I could. Or if you feel like you have something, have an idea already um, in your mind, I'm, which way do you want to go? Sure. A couple of things do pop to mind. Um, one is I sort of reframed the, the uh, question a little bit in terms of angels, uh, not to try to get God out of the picture, but just that's the way I've often thought of it. When I'm going around my life, there's just been times where angels have just shown up. And I think that is God's love and wisdom, compassion, help, and so on. And I've found that angels are everywhere. One time I had a tax problem and there was an angel in the IRS office. Yes. (laughs) I've met an angel there too. (laughs) Uh, You know, but... the guy was an angel. He was just super helpful. Yeah. He knew everything. He was really hearing me and, and wanting to help. And and there was another time when I was flying back, uh, having a couple of, you know, jumps in this plane. And our first plane was like two hours late. So we landed 45 minutes before our next flight. Mm. But they said the gate was already closed and they wouldn't let us on the plane. Oh, no. And so we went here and we lined up there. You know the drill. You know, you line up here and then you get to the front and they can't do anything for you. You line up there. And there was one woman at the back of the airport who was already supposed to be done her shift. And she stayed on for, I don't know, hours and got us the tickets and got us vouchers to stay in a hotel and just wouldn't leave until we were taken care of. Wow. Just an angel, you know, absolute angel. So... And another thought that had come to mind is that um, uh, just in 
marriage, in family life, you know, some of the people who are with you all the time, that sustained love over time and care mm-hmm. also oh, makes great. that sense of divine presence. And you may not think about it at all times that way, you know, because sometimes people around you rub you the wrong way right, or, it goes or, up, or whatever. It goes up and down, yeah. But when you think about sustained love, those other examples yeah. were someone who just like that was one interaction, you know, yeah. at a counter, and yet it stayed with me all my life. But also those those long-term relationships are, are great for that too. Wow. I love that. And I feel like I have two... Uh, Two things that come to my mind that are like that reflect both of those. And one, I have there is an angel who I'll never forget, who, again, was a woman at at an airport when I was flying. Um, And I had just flown to England from America with I was pregnant and I had two little kids and I was on my own with them. And we uh I just had, you know, what you can imagine to be one of the worst flights of your life. And when I got to England, I just felt like I tried to put the little backpack for my little like three-year-old on her back. And it was so heavy that she just started to fall over backwards. (laughs) And it was like, so there is no way me and two kids and all of our luggage are ever getting out of this airport, you know, like through customs and everything. And this woman, this flight attendant just took... Uh, compassion on us and just was like, can I offer you help? But she didn't just like carry a bag for me. She helped me with my luggage, walked me all the way through the airport and then let me go through, you know, with her, uh, her access, which was like, you know, the flight attendant's access. So I got to not bypass customs, but get right to the front of the line and, you know, do all of our uh, ID passport stuff. And then, you know, just had such a smooth, quick process going through the airport and it was just like the warmest welcome I could have imagined and uh and that's that is not common so that was one of those like moments that I'll never forget of of like I really needed help and this person was willing to just drop everything and help me and that's awesome and then with the like long arc that sustained uh presence of love I just for me, that's embodied in uh, in my grandfather, and um, who happens to be on hospice right now. And I've just have been thinking about him and his life, and it really is true that the people we love and who are present in our life, just their their good qualities end up merging with God in our minds. You know, or like that that makes sense. That like I can't think of when I start to describe what it is that I love so much about my grandfather all the qualities are like, wait, am I talking about God or am I talking about my grandfather? (laughs) (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Um, Because they're so one and the same. And that's like, it just gives me that sense of that, uh, you know, of course he's got flaws. He'd admit to, you know, he's like, he wouldn't take any credit for any of that, but, but that his present, his just existence can embody so many of God's qualities for me is, uh, is really just such a blessing. And and even just by fact of having been around for my whole life in itself is a testament to God's endearing love. You know, like, so it's just those, like you said, those relationships are so precious. God is very generous to share those things with people to let us mere little finite beings 
Yes. You know, rather than stand <laughs> on that divine majesty, just say, no, sure, I'll share some of my compassion with you. I'll, I'll let you embody this quality of intelligence or creativity or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. And it's very moving. Yeah. And it's like we would feel sort of embarrassed if, if somebody were to like praise us as if we were God, you know, or something like that, you know, but it's like, right. but somehow for me on the receiving end, that ends up being what I'm experiencing, even though, of course, it's not him. It's the Lord. And, and so I just feel like that's a perfect example of what Swedenborg says about how angels become one with God and yet retain their identity and just have this sort of, you know, uh, translucence like a, like a prism that casts the light. So cool. Well, anybody listening, you can catch other people's responses to this question on our, the community tab on our YouTube channel or on any of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can search off the left eye and those will pop up and you can see what other people have responded to, um, to this question. And we'll have a new one for you next week, like we do every week. Um, and so with this chapter of Revelation that we've been exploring this week, uh, last week we had, I was talking about how when Swedenborg is unpacking the spiritual meaning in his book, Apocalypse Revealed, uh, or the New Century Edition title is Revelation Unveiled. Um, he goes through each of the verses, but then has these memorable occurrences that he retells, you know, records at the end of each chapter. And it's just, it's almost like a little bit of a reprieve, but also sort of echoes kind of the subject matter that he's been exploring in the chapter. And I gave the... Uh, reference number for the ones that came after chapter nine in the book of Revelation. And this week, if people want to have some extra reading, you can go to Apocalypse Revealed number 484 and the following, and that you'll find there three very unusual stories from his spiritual experiences. These experiences where he hears these different sounds and then gets let into witnessing these sort of wild moments in the afterlife. And so uh, I encourage you to go check that out if you just are hungry for more. And of course, you can always write to us through comments on the video or anywhere to let us know what you think. And then so this next week, we are going to be shifting our direction. And this Monday's show is called There is a Science to Your Connection to Heaven. And I'm very excited about this because we're going to be exploring the concept of correspondences and I'm not sure if we've ever done a show that just directly and entirely digs into the concept of correspondences and sort of the living dynamic, you know, technology or functionality that they serve for human life. Um, but we're going right. to be... Right. It's often yeah. hanging around on the set, but it's, it's uh, I'm not sure it's been the star of the show. <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of everywhere in what Swedenborg writes, but, you know, it's... You could think of it, oh, is it just a metaphor or is it what else? Like, And it really is this core part of his whole theology. So it'll be fun to explore that with everybody on Monday. And you can catch it when it first premieres at 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel. And we'll be exploring the topic all week with our News from Heaven on Wednesday and our Q&A show, Swedenborg Live, on Friday.
All right. Now we have arrived at the point in the show wherein we see the NCE. <laughs> I don't get tired of that. Yes. <laughs> it's my phonetic anagram. What is it called? Anyway. Um, so, Jonathan, what do you have for us this week? So we've been doing a lot of historical topics and things like that. Uh, today, just this very day, I was uh, doing some editing with Lisa Hyatt Cooper, who translated Secrets of Heaven. Mm-hmm. And we were working on a particular portion, and this passage just jumped out at me. And I thought, I want to talk about this because there's sometimes this is the nature of the job sometimes that uh, you bend your mind on what Swedenborg is saying, and sometimes you have to think about it so hard you feel like you're going to pass out trying to understand <laughs> what he says. And sometimes you come into a stretch that is so beautiful and you think I I never saw that before I'd never remember seeing that Hmm. and this happens so often so it's just a fun little moment um, from NCE dialogue between an editor and a translator it's fun to work with Lisa she knows so much and we will dive into these passages and see what they mean oh man that is what we're here for and this particular passage um, the way I guess I want to set this up is that um, there's a there's a an epistle of James, and in James chapter one verse two, it says, "Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or various mm. trials." Or different translations have different phraseology in there, but count it all joy. Hmm. There's a big strong message in the epistles, and obviously in the four gospels as well of. Um, of how to hold suffering and that kind of thing. And it's so shocking to be told, count it all joy when you yes. go through these these trials. Mm-hmm. Like, so I've, I've tried to emulate this practice, but uh, mostly my practice consists of, of lying. You know, in other words... <laughs> I'll say, oh, I'm glad this happened, because, you know, or something, uh, trying to adopt that mindset, but not very successfully, you know, just yes. still being in a negative mindset about whatever it is, but trying to imagine that really, I know at some deep level that this is all good, it's all heading in a, in a positive direction, as Swedenborg so beautifully says, uh, but it's hard to be in touch with that when you feel like things are going down in flames. Yeah. And lately in our world, it seems like that's happening a lot. And um, and so I was very struck by this passage about the wisdom of people who have been deeply in love hmm. and the wisdom of people who have been soulmates and, and that kind of thing. And um, let me read this. Where is it from? This is Secrets of Heaven 2736. And it'll come out different ways in different translations, but I wanted to comment on the Latin there. Okay, great. Individuals who have been deeply in love are wiser than others in heaven, yet look like little children flourishing in the springtime of their lives. And then it says this sentence that's very simple in the Latin, Hmm. est illis gaudium et felicitas, quiquid, you know, Contingit, uh, whatever happens to them is a joy and a happiness for them. Huh. 
that was really striking to me because I can see that you can yeah. do spiritual work and sort of pretend or try to leap for joy, as the New Testament says, you know, right. doing these things. And the best I get is that sometimes I feel like an idiot and that makes me laugh or something. Uh, but <laughs> what an astounding statement that people who have loved really, really deeply uh, to them, and the, the Latin is very clear about it, to them, whatever happens is a joy and a happiness Wow. Uh, that just, like, that's a developmental level I have not reached. That would be an amazing thing to actually experience it. That's how I feel. Not just what James says, oh, count it all joy. Right. Not sure just is, count yeah, it. Right. Not just having sort of a little spreadsheet and putting it in the probably good column <laughs> eventually or something. <laughs> yeah. But actually to them, and it's interesting how it comes across in the Latin, that it's very clear, to them, you know, maybe to somebody else, no. But to yes. them, uh, whatever happens is a joy and a happiness. I think the right. way Lisa rendered it was whatever happens to them gives them joy and happiness, something like that. Okay. Um, well, I was going to say, I like I like how you have just talked about it or rendered it in this segment right here because I like that it you know with the two them otherwise you might without that you might read it and think they're just always joyful and happy you know but or like because nothing bad is ever happening to them or yeah they have some like sort that. of cushy life or something yeah, yeah that's exactly right. but then it's really it gets at that depth that yeah that it's that no matters what whatever is happening to them to them it's all joy and happiness. Um, I love the fact, I can't even imagine what that's like, but when he likens it to to uh, ch young children flourishing mm -hmm. in the prime of their lives kind of thing, uh, you can imagine when you look at children, I mean, children go through lots of hard things and difficult, painful, and grievous things or whatever, but when they're in the moment, you can see they're just kind of bulletproof sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, they're just full of, of joy and life, and they're not really concerned about falling out of that tree. <laughs> or the, the parents are worried about all that stuff, but the kid is just in, in joy, you know, just, just enjoying it. And I wonder, I mean, I love how it sets it up that it's for people who have loved deeply. And so he says, even though they look like children in the afterlife, clearly, you know, these are angels, like he says, the innocence of wisdom rather than the innocence of ign ignorance. And and you get that through loving deeply. And uh, it just, it actually, what it reminds me of recently is like having, um, I have some dear friends in my life who help me to see, to sort of hold my circumstances differently and kind of connect me into that more like, how could whatever's happening right now be something, you know, of that could be leading to more joy and happiness like this is describing, you know, right. so it it's like, even if we can't get to that ourselves, oftentimes it's, it's one of those things where there are angels that we are connected to, whether in this life or in the next life, who, who do who can help us connect with that or who live in that state themselves. And so we can connect to them, you know, or just to believe that it's possible could be, could be a comfort to us in our lives. 
you have to lift out of the lower self to do it, I would think, because to the mm-hmm. lower self, it's convinced, no, this is a tragedy. Yes. You can tell because, you know, whatever yes. it was, <laughs> I didn't like what happened. Uh, but being able to be lifted up and and actually experiencing the joy and happiness in, in, in whatever occurs. I, I love that. That is really powerful. Oh, what a what a treasure, what a gem that we've had this week. That's wonderful, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Oh, you're and, very welcome. It's fun to have a place to share these things because it's the kind of thing yeah. you look at on screen and, and you're talking about it on a Zoom call and and then on to the next sentence, you know. <laughs> exactly, right. It's just this little Latin phrase. And here we've paused and we've gotten to go in and get this treasure of spiritual nutrition. And that is just so wonderful. Let's move onward now to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. So, where was Swedenborg this week in history? Well, this week in history, Swedenborg didn't want anyone to know where he was. Oh. (laughs) But we know... And so we'll take you on this little journey, uh, and here and here's some setup. So on October fifteenth, seventeen forty nine, that's the date of this letter that a man from Dartmouth, England, by the name of Mister Stephen Penny, wrote to Swedenborg's publisher John Lewis, expressing his great pleasure in reading the first volume of Arcana Celestia, Secrets of Heaven, and this is the first like positive feedback like if there's been this radar going out from Swedenborg like is anybody hearing anything this is the first blip on the radar that's like somebody received these ideas and loved them so much that he writes a letter to John Lewis he even says in his letter that he accidentally came across the the advertisement of Arcana Celestia but he said he was excited by the oddness of the title <laughs> And and we know yeah. the ad that he read. Yes. Uh, and the ad consisted entirely of the title. I mean, that, that, oh. <laughs> that was all he had to go by. So it's pretty amazing that on the basis of that title, he bought the book and loved it and then wrote to the publisher. Yes. Yeah. So he sends to a friend in London to get it and send it to him. and uh, And he says you know, please, you know, I don't see the papers often enough and I really don't want to miss any more installments of this. So please let me know when the next, you know, volume is out. And uh, apparently he didn't usually read the newspaper. Exactly. Oh, and he also, that was something else I wanted to mention. He, he says, uh, you know, the illumined author, whoever he is, because of course Swedenborg was publishing this anonymously. Right. So thanks to uh, Stephen Penny, that that letter brought a lot of happiness to Swedenborg, I think. But in order to, so John Lewis gets this letter from Stephen Penny, and he's like, "I want to go. I'll pass it along to Swedenborg because he'll be so happy to hear that somebody read Arcana Celestia and liked it." Um, but in order to get the letter to Swedenborg, he had to send it. He didn't, John Lewis, Swedenborg's own publisher, didn't know where Swedenborg was. And that's pretty yeah. extreme, you know. Yeah. You you won't even tell your publisher, probably so he has can have plausible deniability or something, but. Right. 
Yeah, if somebody comes, hey, tell me where this Sweden, where, where this author is, and John Lewis can honestly say, I have no honestly, idea. Honestly, I, I have no is. idea. Yeah. yeah, and and if so, I did know, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, and so John Lewis has to send the letter along to a gentleman in Amsterdam by the name of Joachim Rettman. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay, and so. Joachim Rettman needs a little bit of explanation, or like we can talk a bit about who this man is because he was actually a pretty important person to Swedenborg. Um, he was a Swedish businessman who lived in Amsterdam. Yeah, and, an expatriate, right. Okay, yeah. And him and Swedenborg cross paths at some point and meet and they become good friends. And there's, uh, well, two two interesting things that strike me about their their friendship. One is Swedenborg would have dinner with Rettman every week or something like that. They, uh, right. Dine together almost every Sunday and that he was his most intimate companion. And, and the other connection is they had a shared love of growing things. <laughs> so right. Rettman, he was actually a dealer in seeds and bulbs. One of the interesting things to me is that uh, in 1743, when uh, spiritual things start happening for him in a different way, yeah. he's 55 years old, but he's never owned a property. He's never owned a place of his own. Hmm. He yeah, he's always rented, rented out places. stayed with relatives, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's when, for the first time, he buys this property, 1.2 acres on the island of Sudermalm. Wow. Stockholm is a lot of islands and a lot of water and so on. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he goes away for a couple of years, which we've talked about in some of these other yeah, episodes. He goes abroad for two years and leaves instructions for them to build him a beautiful garden there. And he has huh. ideas about it. And then he comes back in 1745 and, and gets to see it. So he's all of a sudden yes. in his late 50s in the market for... Plants and part yes. of he was a cousin-in-law to the famous Linnaeus of the mm -hmm. you know nomenclature and everything uh, binomial classification system and mm -hmm. um, what people would do would they they would collect exotic plants they would have yeah. friends who would go here and there and so Swedenborg had things he had North American dogwoods uh, huh. African melons. He had, wow. you know, things from all over the world uh, uh, that just you have a friend who's traveling. Hey, pick me up some seeds or, or something. Yes. And so Retman was one of the main sources for this. Retman was writing. To, we, we don't know Retman's birth and death dates, unfortunately. Oh, fascinating. I didn't he, even uh, think. Yeah, we, we just couldn't find him so far. Hmm. But, hmm. but he wrote seven letters to Swedenborg, and they span between 1749 and 1767, 18 right. years later. They and are good even friends in that, for a long time. Yeah, and even in that letter in 1767, he's still talking about there's this weird thing called an eggplant. Check it out. <laughs> and he'll tell him when to plant it. And, <laughs> you know, some you should plant in the fall, you know, and some Love you it. plant in the spring after the last frost. And, and they're always trading, in addition to talking about the books, they're trading, you know, horticultural yes. knowledge. And he would have to, he is such a good friend because he ends up being the one person who's allowed to know where Swedenborg is at this time and 
beyond this time. I mean, Swedenborg, um, you know, had published Secrets of Heaven in in London and he was there. And then it was at sort of the end of September, beginning of October that he decides he makes these arrangements with Rettman um, to be his point person to receive any mail for him and then forward it to his very secret Undisclosed address. location. Yes. That's right. Going back to our Stephen Penny letter, it's gone to the hands of John Lewis. He passes it on to Rettman in Amsterdam. Presumably puts it in a new envelope or however things work back then. Right. right. Put Rettman's name on it in yes. Amsterdam, this Swede living in Amsterdam. That's right. And so then can we answer this main question of where Swedenborg was? Well, what we know, Rettman didn't forward the letter to anywhere in London or Holland or Sweden but this very special little city of the day that was called, uh, let me get it right, the Free Imperial City of Aachen, or known by its French name, Aix-la-Chapelle. And the Aix-la-Chapelle means city of the chapel or church, and it has the Aachen Cathedral, which is one of the oldest cathedrals in Europe. And it was the place where like, all the Holy Roman emperors would go to be crowned kings of the Germans and and then you know through hundreds of years but then it becomes a place where you start having um, all of these treaties take place that's there right at, the treaty at different of points Isla in Chappelle. history right that's right and so there's the these like superpowers of the day are willing to come together you know and and sit at a table at the free imperial city of Aachen to to kind of figure out their you know, their problems with each other. And fascinatingly, the very year before then we are, so we're talking about 1749, but on October 18th, 1748, this this amazing treaty of Isla Chapelle was signed. Um, and that was, that was wow. a treaty between Britain, France, and the Dutch Republic. So um, wow. it's just amazing that Swedenborg then puts his finger on this point on the map of like, I'm going to go there to work on the next part of Secrets of Heaven on volume two. Yeah, and almost like a no man's land, isn't it? Exactly. Like a, yeah. And it's interesting that he wrote the first volume elsewhere, but he went there to write the second volume and yeah. s- presumably to see how the reaction was to the first volume. Because, uh, I mean, not that long before this time, there'd been the thing called the Thirty Years' War that was tremendous bloodshed over Protestants versus Catholics. And, you know, when you wade into religion, you were risking your life at that point. That's a good point, yeah. And so I think he was really like, this could could blow up, you know, but let's (laughs) see what happens. (laughs) That's a good point, because that's what I was thinking about was like, well, why... He, he goes even deeper into hiding. You know, it's not enough just to not put his name on the books. He needs to just be not found, you know, if anybody goes looking for him. And and he only stays there for not even a full year. Um, no, but, he winters there. That's right. Right. Until the following April in 1750. And uh, but that's where he's receiving his mail. And so that's where Joachim Rettman forwards this letter from Stephen Penny. And the address on the on Rettman's letter is amazing because it does, for the first time, the envelope would actually have Swedenborg's name on it. Yes, right. Uh, you know, M, Swedenborg, E, M, 
uh, but then says the envelope is sent to the sign of St. Joseph, care of Mr. Becker's Rue de Saint-Pierre à la Chapelle. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to a sign and then you'll meet someone named Mr. Becker's and then hand him the envelope and he'll know how to get it to Swedenborg. So even if you got that far yes. through the system, you still wouldn't really know where he slept. Yes. You know, Mr. Becker's knows where he sleeps and, and, and he'll take it the rest of the way. Right. So it passes hands like four times or something before before it gets to Swedenborg. And I can only imagine that Whenever it did get to Swedenborg, I bet he would be very, very pleased to read it, to see this enthusiastic reception and, you know, hunger for more. Like, that must have been super encouraging for him to be working on the second volume. Rather than a bomb going off, you know, rather than people coming after him, he gets a letter. That's true. From this Stephen Penny saying, he gets I love it. <laughs> you know? Good news. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, probably didn't expect that good news. And um, there was one of Rettmann's letters to Swedenborg had an interesting little detail in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was from early 1750, but it was that same time when Swedenborg was in Isla Chapelle where uh, Rettmann wrote to him and said, um, so two boxes of books went from Lewis, the publisher, to this particular place in Amsterdam to be distributed to this name and that name in Amsterdam, but that name has gone out of business and is no longer a bookseller. (laughs) And I don't know if these are your books, but they might be. There's no return address kind of thing. So if that's you, uh, what do you want me to do about it? It, Like pretty hard to distribute books and get a conversation going when you're working that deep, you know, behind the scenes kind of thing, that that many layers of anonymity that this box of books is just sitting around and Joachim Rettmann has to write to him. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. And I, it is really fun to think of. I just love the sweet friendship between Rettmann and Swedenborg because here's a guy who is really good friends and he's willing to be connected with Swedenborg to help him, you know, to get his mail and everything. Uh, so, I mean, so Rettmann knows what Swedenborg is writing. I'm not sure, but... Oh, I um, think so. Yeah, I think they yeah. were that close that I think... He, um, he's a confidant. He knows what Swedenborg is he's really a confidant. Yes. working on. Yeah, And that's interesting because it was a very stratified society and yeah. Rettmann was not a nobleman. If he was, we'd know his birth and death dates. There'd be right, a Wikipedia right. article on him. You know, he was just a merchant. That's quite a different animal back then. yeah. And the fact that that's his best bud and yep. that when other people invite him to dinner, they know, invite Rettmann because he'll just ask anyway. So yes. you might as well, <laughs> right. you know, Yeah, I'll come Rettmann to dinner too. as long as I can bring my friend Rettmann with me. Like, that's what he would do. And it's interesting to see Rettmann's letters to Swedenborg because he he's deferential. He knows this is a nobleman. Yeah. But they also have a business relationship with all yeah. the things that have to happen in a business relationship. And so I love the fact, if you read the letters, Rettman ne- numerous times will say things like, I would have been happy to hear about whether that box of books reached you. Yeah. Or he'll say, I, I will enjoy hearing 
whether you got the plants and put them in the ground and what happened. Or, you know, <laughs> it's a funny way to say things because he can't just say, I'm frustrated. You you didn't write to me. You know, you didn't write back or something. He has to be deferential because Swedenborg's a nobleman and everything. Interesting. <laughs> but, yeah. And so he found sort of a happy way to do it. <laughs> That's great. Well, here's to the friendship between Retmon and Swedenborg. A long friendship. Thank you, Jonathan, so much for uh, hanging out with me this week, and it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Well, that was quite a journey we took there. That was fun. I know, tracing that letter from Dartmouth, England, down to some undisclosed location in Isla Chapelle. So thanks, and I'm Chelsea Odner, and we'll be here with you next week inside Off the Left Eye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye to be notified every time a new episode comes out. And you can explore all our content and resources at our website, offthelefteye.com. As always, we welcome you to rate us on Apple Podcasts and consider leaving a review. It helps other people find our content. To become part of the core group of people who sustain what we do here at Off the Left Eye, Go to otle.causevox.com to support our work with a donation. But you know, having you there listening is a real form of support in and of itself. So I mean it when I say thank you for listening. <laughs>